welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. My name is Jay Dostal, author of the book Own Your Epic, Leadership Lessons in Owning Your Voice and Your Story. In this podcast, I highlight the stories and voices of educators across the country who are making a difference in schools and uncover what makes them exceptional leaders in their field. By sharing the voices and stories of others, we can all learn to appreciate that each of us is the author of our own epic and our experiences are relatable to others, if we are willing to share them. Let's get started on the Own Your Epic process. Welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. Today is a pretty awesome day. Uh, I... uh, Probably shouldn't have waited this long to have this guest on the podcast uh, because our careers have intersected uh, multiple times uh, over the past, mm-hmm. I want to say 15 years or something like that. But mm-hmm. I am not going to do the introduction. I'm going to have her give her own introduction. So why don't you uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about, uh, tell us who you are and a little about what, what you do. Awesome. Yeah, so my name is Melissa Herman. I currently serve as the Director of Human Resources for Kearney Public Schools. Um, but as you mentioned, we have we have a long path that goes back to, um, stretches all the way back to my very first year in administration as Dean of Students at Kearney High School. Um, so a little bit more um, about myself, and it's just hard for me, I'm not good at small talk. So, as you know, um, I'm wife to Justin, mother to two boys, Kale and Zach. Um, but kind of larger than that, um, I'm someone who um, really has a deep passion for helping others, and which is what really led me into education and have, has really tried to navigate my way through um, different positions and exploring what it looks like to be a teacher, a building administrator, district leader, and have found myself landed in HR which, as I was just saying, I feel like is the perfect fit for me. I love it. It might be the best um, best spot in education. Well, it is the perfect fit for you. I, I think after knowing you, like, one day, I knew that you were going to be perfect for that position. But uh, I sent you a <laughs> list of questions, Melissa, ahead of time. And I'm notorious for uh, going off uh off the script here so i am going to shift off the script and you and i are just having a conversation but i want to go back to that first interview that you had when you actually oh. were applying for a counselor position at right School. right right Talk um well you're... how that whole thing transpired for you like how, how did administration right. come into the the fold for you well, now if you're going to shift all the way back there, then I'm going to I'm going to jump ahead a little bit too because you know I would say that as you talk about own your epic and you know cultivating your story and making sure that um, that storytelling is a big piece of this. This is the story that I love to tell people, and I love to tell especially young aspiring um, leaders who are maybe kind of stuck and trying to figure out, or teachers who want to know like when's the right thing going to happen for me. Um, because I firmly believe that my story is a great example of how if you just let things happen organically and if you follow, you know, a combination of your head and your heart and you just have a little bit of trust that things will always work out the way they're supposed to. So, yeah, this is a great story. So, I first met um, Dr. Dostal in an interview for a counseling position at Kearney High School, which at the time, 
I had earned zero credits towards my counseling degree. <laughs> right? You remember that? I like did. I wasn't even right. I had had just kind of entered the program, and the reason I had entered the counseling program is because I'd had my admin degree. I had finished that. I was teaching at um, in Lexington, and living in Kearney. And also my my path is a little bit different because. You know, my husband is very rooted in Kearney. His job is here. I knew that I was not going to be the administrator who was going to jump and kind of move to a small town or take any opening. Like, I really was locked into getting into Kearney. And so I realized that um, having that administrative door open for me was probably going to be challenging. And so I said, well, really, as I reflected as a teacher, like, what's my next step? Like, I knew I needed something different. I knew I wanted a different challenge. Wasn't sure what that was. So I entered the counseling program, hadn't even finished my first class or earned a credit when a counseling position opened up at Kearney High School. And so I really took a leap of faith and jumped on it. And Jay, at this point, I'm sure you can tell like your side of the story, but from my side, you know, I felt like I went into that interview and didn't even really know if I wanted the counseling job, if I wanted to be a counselor, if I would be good at it, but it certainly opened the door for me than having an opportunity to transition in the next couple of months into that Dean of Students role. And so again, it's just a great example of how if you sometimes take those leap of faith and you don't necessarily know where an interview is going to lead, um, but it certainly played out for me well in that scenario. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I still remember that counseling interview. And I, again, this is like, I think this was my first, second year on the job. Second year, uh, right, yes. In and, between your first and second, right? Yeah, in between first and second in that summer. And uh, your application came by and I was like, okay, well, she hasn't necessarily started her classes, but, you know, trying to find, <laughs> trying to find a, a counselor in small town America that also has the two years of uh, required teaching in order to become a counselor. And like, all right, well, we'll see how it goes. And so I remember bringing you in and we were, I was asking you questions. I'm like, she has no idea what being a counselor <laughs> should be about, but she would, make an awesome, right. she would make an awesome dean of students or an administrator if we had a position open and then lo and behold, something opens up and you were my first call. I was like, you've got to apply for this because this was, this was your niche. And then the cool thing about that was, uh, you know, after going through that interview with you, I knew that you had the ability to uh, be a counselor, but the cool thing about becoming an administrator is you get to play kind of both of those roles. You play counselor, you play administrator, you play teacher. And I think it just uh, just so happened to uh, to be the right fit for you. And then you and I have had multiple conversations over the of the course of our relationship that, um, you know, things happen for a reason. And I told you I've been right. turned down for 13 AP positions uh, before I actually got right. my first one. And, uh, you know, those are always tough conversations to have. But uh, yeah, you came in and it was it was it was just kind of unique how that whole thing worked out. And then it led to you going to Dean of Students, then assistant principal, building a master schedule, uh, going to HR. I mean, it, it it over the past 15 years, you've had this unbelievable trajectory and this this story. What what do you, what do you think in in the 15 years that you and I have known each other? What do you think has probably opened your eyes the most about leadership? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, I think that what 
I think that every piece of what I've done has definitely taught me um, a different aspect or a different facet of leadership and kind of shaped who I've become and, and how I've developed. But I think um, just really being able to be open to the experiences and when they present themselves um, like, if you really want to grow as a leader, I've seen a lot of people who have really kind of pushed themselves to climb the ladder. They, you know, really aspire, like, my goal is to be a superintendent, and that's great, and, like, it's great to have goals. But then I've also seen where, for some individuals, that really will hinder their ability to really just sit back and soak up what you're learning in the position that you're in. And what, again, is unique for me is that because we are very rooted in Kearney, because of my husband's job, and I know I'm not leaving, I've always just approached it with a, you know, I chase, I chase experiences, not positions. And um, so I also like to tell people, as you say, you know, you, you went through 13 AP interviews. I'm one for seven on interviews just in Kearney Public Schools. Um, and that is absolutely a fact that people don't believe that to be true, but it's true. Um, but what I would say is that if you, I try to, I try to coach people that if you're working hard, you're doing the right thing. You're proving yourself over and over and you stay true to who you are as, as a teacher, as a leader, as a person, um, eventually that will shine through. And so, you know, you want to be able to take the risk and put yourself out there and interview for certain positions. But really, I think I've been able to just develop um, a good reputation for myself in the district and people know what I'm about. They know who I am. They know what I value and how I'm going to lead. And that has opened up more doors for me than any, you know, interview or ladder climbing or anything else that I could have done to to, to put myself in a position where I could um, excel in the way that I have. Well, I, I think it's so important that you had mentioned that you aren't chasing positions, you're chasing experiences, because um, I think that is, I think that's the, the perfect way that uh, to encapsulate how I feel about it as well. Um, obviously, I have not uh, gone after central office positions or anything like that, because I, my passion is where is at the building level being a high school principal. And I know that you and I've had conversations sure. with that over, over our long tenure together. Um, I, I think that's 1 of the things that, uh, kind of. Takes me off and, and, you know, as an HR director, maybe you can provide some, uh, some guidance for those who are thinking about. Looking at those different experiences, but uh, 1 of the things that always just kind of. I don't know, it didn't make my blood boil, but just kind of, uh, you know, kind of veers the conversation off a little bit is when I'm interviewing people and uh, one of the things that they say as part of the interview is, you know, I want to be in the classroom for a little bit, but, but my goal is to become, uh, you know, a principal within five years or an assistant principal or like you have these steps. And one of the things sure. that like, I never got into education to become a school administrator. I mean, I, I love teaching. I, I love being around kids. And yep. if your if your ultimate goal is to climb that ladder, that's okay to have those goals. But maybe have those as those those are things that probably shouldn't leave the thought bubble. They should and into the speaking <laughs> bubble. Uh, right. I, I don't know. What, I mean, what do you what do you think? No, I th I think you're spot on in that, and I also think that. Um, um, now, I, I, I may be offending some people who are listening to this, but I, I would, I would. Well, you and I offend people all the time right? anyway, so. <laughs> right. But when I hear people say that to me, I also try to also to gently remind them 
that maybe they're being slightly naive um, about what it means to be a leader. Um, because I think that when you step into that role, you think you know what it's going to be and everybody thinks that they understand um, what, it, what any leader position does, right? Like you think you know what an assistant principal does. You think you know what it's like to build a master schedule. You think you know what it's like to be a principal or a superintendent or an HR director, but we never really know until we've walked a mile in those shoes. And so it's very easy to, to kind of see what you think a position is going to be and aspire to it. Um, but if you don't have the, the wisdom and the experience to be able to carry you through the difficult times, then I think people also can become very disenchanted. Um, and you know this, Jay, because you remember the day you walked into my office and you said, don't forget, you wanted this job, right? Like we yes. talk about that all the time and that there are really hard times with any position. And so really the more experiences that you've had and the more wisdom that you've gained is just going to carry you carry you through. The other thing that I think people don't always necessarily remember and keep in mind is that you're going to have a long tenure in education and it's difficult as a leader to stay in one position for a long period of time. It just is. I mean, what are they saying the tenure is for superintendents right now? Like less than five years. I mean, they're saying it's creeping closer to three years is yeah. the tenure of a superintendent. I know they say high school principals really kind of cap out at seven. And so I think people should also be mindful of it's not about accelerating yourself, you know, to to the tip of the top as quickly as possible, because then you get there and then what do you do? And so really finding a way to find your right seat on the bus where you're happy, you're satisfied, where your job duties and responsibilities match um, your skills and your gifts, but yet you're still feeling challenged enough, you know, to sharpen your saw. I think that's really what people should be aiming for. Well, no, and I, yeah, I mean that you're spot on there and you actually were part of that experience with me. I mean, I, I, I think principles last time I checked was more like three, three and a half years. In is that what it is? Right. It's very, uh, yeah, like NASSP said something like that. Now it may have changed, but uh, yeah, they, they were saying that most principals will not see a full graduating class go through. And, um, you know, when I worked with you, uh, it was after eight years and yeah. that was a long time, but my shock kept my, my saw kept getting sharpened because, you know, we had uh, a ton of staffing issues. We we're working through building a brand new mm -hmm. building. But then at some point uh, that uh, that course um, gets derailed and you've got to you've got to continue finding your passion. And when you're young, I mean, I was 32 when I got hired as principal in Kearney. That's uh, there's a lot of years of service left and I could not imagine staying in one place for that long, much to the, um, you know, the detriment of my kids who are going to have to move along with me and that sort of thing. But I think, sure. I think your, I think your point is, is spot on because, uh, I, we both know Brian Maher, uh, Brian said something to me after my first year, uh, that was very, that has stuck with me for, for quite some time. But, um, one of the things he said was when you're, uh, wisdom catches up with your skills, you have uh, a wonderful opportunity to be a great leader. And, you know, I'd only mm -hmm. been in the classroom for five years before I got into administration. And, uh, 
I think that was detrimental to me because I only had five years of experience. Now they were great years of experience, but I haven't been in a classroom since the first five years of my career. And I know that I'd be a way better teacher now than I was when I first started just because sure. of this many classrooms I've been in. But um, no, I think there's a lot to be said about that. And it kind of goes back to your statement of, you know, chasing the experiences and not the position because I think there's there's a there's a lot a lot to be said there. Um, what uh, you know as as you think about your career as you know social studies teacher and then uh, becoming a dean and then an assistant principal and now a director of HR, what has been probably the most eye opening experience for you uh, through these changing times of education? Oh, that's um, that's interesting. That's a loaded um, question I mean, because you've seen a lot. I know, <laughs> right? The most eye-opening. Um, you know, I think that. I mean, I, of course, I'm I'm rattling through my head some different things and and different things that you know happen and encounter. And some of them, you know, as well, we encountered and went through them together. Um, and you can't tell would, the story about. The, I know. You can't tell the story about. <laughs> You and Angie France dumping stuff on my desk while I was out of the building, which I still have pictures of, and I won't name. Oh my gosh, that was so on, much that, that was pretty eye-opening for me. <laughs> I did. That's funny. No, um, so I will maybe talk a little bit about that story, um, because you know, as I, I think through all of the different things that that you go through as an administrator. And, you know, as we talk about, I, I love what you said, Dr. Maher said about your wisdom catching up with your skills, because the reality is there's no way to gain that wisdom unless you have had a lot of experiences. Like, it just comes with time. That's just the nature of it. But I would say that something that probably would be um, poignant for me would be that as I rattle through these experiences in my head, so whether it's, you know, the first time I experienced um, as an administrator, a teacher who walked into my office and just went off on me in a very unprofessional manner. Like that sticks out in my head. Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? This is the first time. Here I am, a 30-year-old dean of students, and I have this veteran teacher who's yelling at me inappropriately. I think about when we moved from the old Carney High to the new Carney High, which is when we boxed up all of the stuff left over in the hallway and had it shipped to your office. That was fun. Um, or like I think of, you know, the first time you have to terminate someone. I think of when you have to lead your building through um, multiple deaths by suicide in the same year. And I, you know, I think of all these experiences that you have but what probably connects them for me is that you you when you talk about the difference between a manager and a leader, so you have to both manage through all of those experiences, but then you also have to lead through them. And so when you're leading through them, like it's one thing to manage and get through the day. Um, I think of the bus accident. Gosh, I forgot about that when I was on the bus that crashed, right? Oh, like, yeah. um, you you I mean, see, all these things kind of rattle through your head, and so you manage through them. But the poignant part is that the management is just the start, right? Like when, when the dust settles and when, when um, you kind of have tackled the, the necessities of the day, then you're still left with how you lead through it. And leading through it is a longer process, and it, it requires you to really be empathetic with the people that you're responsible for and how do you care for them and how do you take care of of, of their hearts and, and their emotionality in those situations and, and how do you do that in a way where you're also taking care of yourself 
Um, and so that's what, when I think back to what are those poignant moments, I mean, I think those are all of those and, and how, you, um, how you put on that brave face to be the leader in challenging times is probably what resonates, I would guess, with almost every leader and when they recall stories from, from their past where they gained some of that wisdom. Yeah, you know, as you were given that answer, I, I I think about the the number of different different poignant moments that you go through, and um, those moments where you almost think about giving up the profession altogether. Um, and one thing that mm-hmm. really hit me as you were talking about the uh, the multiple deaths by suicide, and you know, you were there with me in 2016 when. We had three student deaths, student uh, three student suicides, student die in a house fire, and a long tenured right. teacher die by cancer, all within a calendar year. And right. and that was that was one of that I, it is the most the roughest year uh, that I ever had. And actually, that was one of the the impetus is behind me maybe seeking out different opportunities because at that point, you know, you're six years in, you're dealing with all this. You're I self-admittedly did not handle my own grief very well because I was trying to leave the building and take care sure. of everybody else. Um, but you're right. Those, those are the, those are the, the points in time that you, you really question yourself. Have you ever questioned yourself about leaving the profession altogether? Um, I have not. Um, I would say, so if I'm being really honest, I would say that right now is probably the, in, in this moment in time is where I question the profession and not because I want to leave, but because I just really worry about the future of public education um, with a lot of the, you know, politicalness out there and with um, just a changing dynamic within our society. Sometimes I worry about the profession in general, like what is this going to look like and is this something where I'm going to be able to continue in this position and to lead in a way that still um, allows me to be who I want to be as a leader. Um, And so I think that I haven't ever seriously questioned it. Um, I love what I do, but I also understand where you come from in the sense of sometimes you just have those days, right? And those, why do I do what I do? This is, I could just go back to being a teacher, right? Like I could be a teacher in the classroom and I'll have to manage all of this. And so I think everybody has those moments. Um, where you reflect on it, but the key is to not to allow yourself to feel the that emotionality and to allow yourself to kind of live in that space, but to not set up camp and stay there, right? Like it's okay to have those feelings and question that and that emotion and is this really worth it? And I work so hard and maybe you feel devalued or unappreciated for the work that you do, but to still be able to pull yourself back up to not, you know, not live in that space, but to just kind of validate that and then move forward with a, with the um, resounding, hopefully the resounding belief that we are doing good and our jobs are difficult and, but they're also really important. And so So, that's what I always try to remind myself. That's a great reminder, but what fills your bucket? Are you still running? (laughs) It's funny that you say that because, um, I, you know, running used to really be my outlet, just where I was able to think. It's where I had all of my great, sometimes um, hair-grade ideas. You're running running (laughs) Not on a treadmill. No, no, no. I don't run on a treadmill. You know that. I still, like, I don't care if it's 19 degrees. I'll run outside. Like, I like to be outside. I like that running. So, that was a big part of my life and a big part of my, like, stress relief and processing and um, all of that. So, as I was working on my dissertation, my my routines kind of flipped 
And so I would do all of my article reading and writing and editing in the morning, because you also know I'm an early riser. So I'd get up at five, drink my coffee, spend a couple hours working on my paper and then go to work. And that's kind of how I managed my workload. Well, I used to run in the morning. And so I didn't realize, um, so I'd gotten out of the habit for about two or three years. And so I didn't realize how much I was missing it in my life until I finished my dissertation. And literally the day after my defense, I woke up that morning at five o'clock and I was like, so now what? Like, now what do I do? <laughs> now I don't have this. So I have started um, getting back into running and hadn't realized how good it was for me mentally and just how much I needed that decompression and that process time. I didn't realize how much I had missed it in my life for the last two or three years. So it, you've you've gone back to it then? Yes, yes, well, and it's been it's been great. Yeah, well, great. but now, I now would also can, say what what's that? I was going to say now you can listen to this podcast while you're running. I right because you know that's what I did. I listened to podcasts. You know, I know that. you did. You always like, coming to tell me these things, right? Jay, I listened to this great podcast, and here's what it said. And right, so I've started doing that again. Um, I told a good friend of mine and yours, Mr. Clint Edwards, the other day. I was like, "Hey, you better buckle up because I'm listening to podcasts again." And so now I've got all these crazy ideas for things we can do. <laughs> well, I have not asked Clint to be on this podcast yet because I have no idea what direction it would go. <laughs> yeah, that would be risky. I think it's good. I mean, uh, you know, I talk to a lot of people about setting boundaries and expectations on their own time and I'm terrible at it. Although I've been, uh, trying to, to work on it and, um, I hate running outdoors. You know, that I do like running yeah. on a treadmill, but I've got about, <laughs> I got my TV on, I got my earbuds in, I've got. Five different things going on just to take my mind out of the fact that I'm not that I'm doing something that I hate doing. But then you were also there when I uh, when I started picking up my heavy bag and start. <laughs> oh yes, right. Started, started right. punching that, and so yeah, I mean we we we've all got to have those outlets because uh, I don't think a lot of people understand also that leadership is lonely. It's not like you can yeah. you have this wide network like when I was teaching. And teachers have this wide network of other teachers that they can they can talk to about shared experiences. Whereas mm -hmm. once you get into leader posi leadership positions and even higher leadership positions, your circle gets smaller and smaller. I mean, uh, there are some topics that principals can't necessarily talk with assistant principals about because there's right. not that shared experience. There's uh, experiences that you have that you couldn't necessarily talk with a high school principal about because they're they're not shared. And then once you get to like a superintendent position, then you're a really small circle and you really don't necessarily have those outlets. So being able to find those is is really important. And that kind of leads into this next question. And it's kind of perfect for an HR director. But. You know, with the the world of education, seeing a number of teachers leaving the profession and fewer people wanting to become teachers, um, as someone who's been in a school for a while and seen, you know, the highs and the lows, what advice do you have for educators who are listening to this podcast? Right. Oh, and I knew I was prepared. I anticipated this was coming, and I I still think this is this is such a tough question right now. Um, and I think everyone's trying to scramble to figure out. Um, 
you know, how we take care of our educators and how we um, continue to recruit for the profession. Um, we know that numbers are going down drastically in post-secondary institutions, and we know that um, this this younger generation of employee that's coming into the workforce, whether it's an education or whether it's in any profession, um, they their sense of loyalty is different. Um, you know, older generations, when you talk about the boomers and even the Gen X, like very much felt like they were going into a career and like what you found you stayed with. And um, the younger generations really are more about um, finding their right fit, and that may mean moving around from place to place. And neither neither is right or wrong, but what it does mean is for education, we have to find a way to really make it appealing to the younger generations as they enter the workforce. And there's a lot of a lot of ways that education is pretty stagnant to change, and so I think it can make it difficult for us to really make drastic shifts in things like leave models and compensation and things like that that allow us to remain competitive. Um, but what I what I would say is I, I still have hope and I still believe that there are people out there that are really motivated, you know, not not by money and not by um, those things, but because they want to make a difference. And I think everyone still knows that education is an area where you can make a difference in the life of young people. But it undoubtedly is hard, and um, education is hard, being a teacher is hard, being a leader is hard, and it gets harder every day. But I think that the challenge is, and what I would tell young people in the profession or when they're considering it, is that now more than ever we have to really be willing to change with the times and to think creatively about how we do things differently and you have to find a way to cultivate what you love into your work day um, i was just having a conversation with the teacher um, as an example i think this is a perfect one where they they were talking about i don't know if i can do it anymore like i just don't think that um, i can stick with stick with the profession and it was someone who was an English teacher, and we were talking specifically about AI, right? And like, this is gonna dramatically change what they do. And I just, I, I can't, I'm spending all of this time like looking through the papers and trying to figure out if people, if kids have plagiarized and what they're copying and is this their own work or is it not? And I think the challenge for us as educators is that as the, as the world changes, we're gonna have to find a way to change with it. And so um, that may mean looking at things like chat GPT not as the enemy and instead of spending all of your time and effort and energy trying to, um, you know, trying to figure out ways around that, like how do we take these new technologies and how do we incorporate them into education and how are they going to dramatically change what we do in education? Um, and so it may be a little bit unpopular right now. I know there's a lot of mixed feelings about chat GPT and its impact on education, but I think that's where we're at. Like we're either going to resist and resist um, that change where we have to be flexible and we have to think differently about what it means um, to what education means, like what is it doing for our society? And if we go back to the roots of public education, it's the most critical aspect of running a well-functioning democracy. And so we have to be willing to think differently um, about how we do things and also have the courage to be able to make those changes and to work together to do that. Because right now, public education is taking a lot of arrows from the outside and we can either circle the wagons and shoot each other or circle the wagons and fight for public education. And I recognize that that's hard to do right now, but I hope and believe that there will still be a resounding group of people who are willing to kind of champion that cause.
Yeah, I would agree. And, um, you know, you've, I know you've heard me say it, but I think education's biggest threat is we cannibalize one another. We're so competitive with one another and what uh, right. the school next door is doing that we uh, sometimes fail to remember that we're all going through the exact same experiences. We just need to find, uh, you know, find our commonalities and present a united front because, uh, Nobody's going to be telling our story. I mean, they'll 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 tell all the bad stuff that school does, but they'll never tell tell all the positive things. So, uh, right. believe it or not, we're at thirty one minutes. So hey. I know it, I tell you these these things go fast. But uh, before uh, before we end today, is there anything else that uh, you'd like to offer up to the listeners of the podcast? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Here's what I would say. Um, I know most of your listeners are probably in education. And so if you're in education, I would say that now is the time that we really need to um, love on each other, right? And that we need to, as, as you very much stress, we need to be sharing our story and we need to be um, speaking out publicly um, to anybody who will listen about the importance of what we do and, and to dispel some of the myths and rumors um, about public education. I think that's critical. And then we also have to take care of each other. So you know your inner circle and the people around you and how can we support each other and lift each other up in a positive manner because I think that's going to be a really critical part um, of as we move forward. And so I, I would do that. And then I also would say, if you're not in education, please love on your educators, right? Because we don't always get a lot of um, validation. Um, we don't always get a lot of validation from our students, especially if you're at the high school level. They don't usually love on their principals too, right? Like <laughs> no one's given us something in the hallway. I know, right? Like you know how that is. Maybe the kindergartners, the littles really love their teachers. Um, but outside of that, there isn't a lot of validation that's coming in. And so what we know about educators is they are people with big hearts who want to know that they're making a difference. And so I think the more communities can come together and can really try to support educators and can, you know, even if it's little things like I've seen some of our buildings where principals have emailed the teachers and said, hey, we're really asking that you send a nice note to your child's teacher this month, right? We're really trying to spread some positivity. I think that those things can really, um, can really help um, to know that um, there's there's positive forces out there and what we do matters. And so I guess that would be my kind of call to action for anyone who's listening is the more we can try to spread those little drops of joy. Um, I think that they're they're really important right now. Well, let me uh, respond to your call of action by providing you some validation. Um, I'm so proud of you. I recently got your doctorate, Dr. Melissa Herman. You got the shirt. Yes. I'm a doctor. That's awesome. I did get the shirt, <laughs> right. And uh, you have always been uh, one of those people that I can, uh, is a sounding board for me. And so I appreciate you uh, beyond measure because you have definitely, you are a character in in, in my epic and uh, you're not a hitchhiker. You're you're riding in the passenger seat and you've provided a lot of sage advice and I appreciate that about you. And uh, it's, uh, even though we have gone different ways professionally, uh, mm -hmm. making sure that we have that, that connection uh, has always been very important to me. And so kudos to you and thank you so much for taking some time to be on the podcast. 
Yes, well, thank you. I I really appreciate that, and and definitely feel the same. I think that's true for all of us, right? When when you've gone through the fire with someone, <laughs> which you do when your administrators in the high school, you go through the fire together, and that certainly um, creates a bond that, as, as you mentioned, you're not you're not a hitchhiker. Um, your characters forever in life, and so I really appreciate that. It means a lot. Awesome. Well, everybody, that is the end of this podcast. Uh, head on over to ownyourepic.blogspot.com. Uh, pick up a copy of your book or pick up a copy of the book or check out past episodes of the podcast. Until next time, own your epic, embrace your story, and amplify your voice. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. To find out more about Own Your Epic, Check out my website at ownyourepic.blogspot.com, where you can purchase my book or subscribe to all the latest blog and podcast updates. Until next time, own your epic and share your voice and your story. It matters and can make a difference in the lives of others.